Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone, in the United States and around the world. This is Kennard Levy-Brown speaking. I'm your host for the merciful service of God. Biblical, and let me underscore and highlight that, biblical instructional program. This program is for people that, number one, I'm going to put this disclaimer each and every week from now on because you know, I do have new people coming on this program. I've been doing this now since uh, December of uh, 2007. So this program has been on the air for a good number of years, and I know I do know that people come that uh, have, may think that the law of Moses is still, or they teach or been taught that the law of Moses is nailed to the cross. So each and every week, I'm going to give a little short disclaimer that that's not true, and show you scriptural proof that is not true. First of all, to even accept what I just told you you must have the the following attitude. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1, it says, At the same time came the disciples, or the Talmudim in Hebrew, unto Jesus, Yeshua, that's uh, Jesus' Hebrew name, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 2, And Yeshua called a little child unto him and set him in the midst, or in the middle of them. And verse 3, And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted. What does converted mean in the Greek? Strepho. It means to twist, to turn, to reverse. In Hebrew, to be converted means to do teshuva, to change, come as little children. Not literally little children, but in attitude, be willing to be taught. And stop thinking you know everything. Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so, if you think you know everything, I don't know everything, folks. A great teacher realizes that, that they don't know everything. And whether you're a great teacher or not, if you don't have this attitude of wanting to be taught and wanting to be corrected, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, Whoever love of instruction, love of knowledge, but he that hateth reproof, reproof in Hebrew, is, and it means chastisement, correction. All right? If you hate correction, then you are brutish, and that word in Hebrew means bahar, and it means to be stupid. Okay? So if you don't want to be stupid, please listen to instruction. 
And that's what the Word of God says. Okay, so what is the law of Moses? And this is going to be pretty quick. First of all, the Bible defines what the law of Moses is, folks. And, and let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 2. This is the biblical definition of the law of Moses, folks. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. So, what's in the law of Moses? The law In the law of Moses is his ways. Whose ways? God's ways. We need to walk in his ways, not our ways. Okay? In Hebrew, doing, walking the way and doing the way is called halakha. Okay? So that's what we need to do is walk in his halakha or his ways to keep his statutes, commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. So the law of Moses contains God's halakha, his walk, his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. That's a lot, isn't it? But that's the law of Moses. And people today are being incorrectly taught that that law of Moses is nailed to the cross. How can that be? That cannot be. And people combat me and get angry at me when I try to tell them that the law of Moses is the law of God. Well, let's turn to Nehemiah or Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to show you that the law of Moses and the law of God, or the book of the law, they all mean the same thing in this one chapter. Nehemiah, or Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 1, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. All right, so uh, Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 1, talks about the law of Moses. Okay, verse 3. And he read there and before the street that before the water gate from the morning until midday. Now, this is incredible. <laughs> they did a Bible study, or they were reading the scriptures for six hours. And, you know, when I preach, I see people go to sleep and, and so forth. They can't even take an hour, let alone 30 minutes. But right here, these people were attentive and, and for six hours. It says, before the men and women and those that could understand and the ears of all people were attentive. Well, I love to get that when I speak, attentive unto the book of the law. All right, so in verse 3, the Bible is interpreting itself, is calling the law of Moses now the book of the law. Okay, so uh, get, get your pencil and jot these scriptures down. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 3. Okay, so. So far, the law of Moses is called the book of the law as well. All right, so let's, and then verse 9. Verse 9 is another definition, actually starting in verse 8. Verse 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. So they read in the book, in the law of God. Okay, now, the Bible is interpreting itself. The law of Moses now is called the book in the law of God. So they read in the book in the law of God. So it's called... The law of God now, the law of Moses. And this is an interesting scripture. It says, so they read in the book in the law of God distinctively. They gave the sense. There are certain people that are trained to give you the sense of the scripture and cause them 
to understand the reading. This is a very significant scripture because people say, I don't need nobody to teach me. The Holy Spirit teach me. Well, how does the Holy Spirit teach you? It teaches you through people that he's raised up to help you get the sense, to help you understand what you're reading. I'm one of them. Verse 9 of Nehemiah chapter 8. And Nehemiah, which is the Tushata and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Okay, so the law of Moses is called the book of the law. It's called the law of God. Now it's called the words of the law. Okay, continue on. I mean, this, this is pretty simple, folks. I mean, the Bible interprets itself. In verse 13, and on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of, of all the people, the priests, the Levites, Ezra described, even to understand the words of the law. The words of the law is the law of Moses, the law of God. Verse, uh, let's continue on here. But this whole chapter reveals to you. And then verse 18 of Nehemiah chapter 8. And day by day from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God. Right there, this proof. You can actually just use Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, and then Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 18. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. People that go around and tell you that there's a difference between the law of Moses and the law of God, they do not know what they're talking about, folks. And one last scripture here. To finish my little short Bible study on what the law of Moses is, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Think not, and people think the opposite. of well, He told you not to think not, and yet people think it. It says, think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. And you saw what the law of Moses is. It contains uh, all the statutes and judgments and, and how, how he walks, how he lives his life. It contains all that. And, and you just saw that the Bible's definition of the law of Moses is the law of God. So think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. And understand something. It's called the law of Moses because God gave Moses the law. That's the only reason why it's called the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses came from God. And people don't seem to understand that. But anyway, think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. Now, keep in mind that Moses is a prophet. So from Yeshua's own mouth in red letters in the King James Version, he states that he did not come to destroy Moses, and yet people says that he did because he came and he destroyed Moses on the cross. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill, and then people, when they see that, uh, they, they eisegesis the scriptures, they put their own thoughts in the scriptures, and said, oh, fulfill, that means that he, he came to keep the law for us so we don't have to. That's what you're saying when you say that the law has been nailed to the cross and then Paul uh, is preaching a gospel or preached a gospel of grace that we're not under the law. Under the law means we're not under the condemnation of the law or we're not under the curse of the law. That's what that means. It doesn't mean, and, and the reason why when you are keeping the commandments that you're not under the law because you're not under the curses of the law. You're not under the condemnation when you keep the law. That's all that means. That's all scripturally that means. It doesn't mean that that means you don't have to keep the law. That's a false teaching. But anyway, uh, think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What that simply means, ladies and gentlemen, is that he came to help them understand or complete their understanding of the law. And there's a scripture 
that's popped in my mind to help you to understand the purpose, purposes anyway, of the Messiah coming. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 21, it says, The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sakes. What is righteousness biblically? In Psalm 119, verse 172, righteousness is keeping the commandments. He will magnify the Torah. He didn't come to, to, that's what it means by him fulfilling. He magnified the Torah to make it honorable. Magnification, Hebraically, means uh, gadol. That's the Hebrew word for that. And it means to large, to, to advance, to lift up, to increase the understanding. And one of the reasons why he came, ladies and gentlemen, is... Uh, so he, most most of the people they had an issue with keeping the law, and I know that may be incredible for you to hear that, but many of the people there did not understand the law or did not want to keep it. John seven verse nineteen states plainly: Did not Moses or Moses give you the Torah? He gave you the Torah, and yet none of you keep the Torah. And so, of course, he's talking about the majority. Usually when he uses that phrase, he's, he's talking about the majority of people weren't keeping the law. So he came to show them how to keep the law. Because what did, what did, uh, what did he say here in John 14, verse 6? He says, Yeshua said unto him, I am the way, or the halakha, okay, which is part of the law of Moses, which is the law of God, the truth, what is truth, and the life. Cometh unto the Father, but by me. Truth, Psalm 119, 142, truth is the keeping of the law, or is the law. Or, or the uh, law, Hebraically, means Torah, and it means keeping the instructions of God. That's what truth is. All the instructions of God, the entire Bible. So I hope you understand what the law of Moses is, folks. It's not separated into three categories, ceremonial, uh, uh, ceremonial uh, civil, and and uh, moral, okay? No, the the law of Moses is what the Bible says it is. It's all the commandments of God. All right, so let's let's understand that. And uh, it's, it's the statutes and judgments and testimonies. And if you need a biblical definition of the law of Moses, please study First Kings chapter two, verse three, Nehemiah chapter eight. Those two, those two uh, scriptures will reveal to you what the law of Moses is. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that because, uh, and I'm going to do this each and every week um, to clarify this because it's very important for you to understand what the law of Moses is because that's one of the greatest false doctrines that's preached in Christianity today, that the law of Moses is nailed to the cross and is not. And if you want a detailed study on that, please email me at canard at mercifulserviceofgod.com. And I I will give you information. Um, my um, my featured program will help you too. It's a two-hour program entitled uh, "Did Jesus Tell Us to, to Keep or Teach Us to Keep Only Six Commandments?" Many people believe that, but he didn't teach that. Okay, so to um, talk about briefly any significant world news before I get into the Bible study today. Um, go to watch.org here. It says um, on the website, 
Watch.org, W-A-T-C-H.org. Hamas denies Holocaust while trying to facilitate another one. This day is a significant day uh, amongst Jews. This is the day remembering the Holocaust. And so we need to pray for our Jewish brethren. Uh, we need to pray uh, that that event never happens again to to Jews. Uh, it's one of the was one of the the worst events that ever happened to any type of human race, and uh, we we need to acknowledge that it was horrendous. Uh, over six million Jews were destroyed and slaughtered because of some mad dictator called Hitler, and really the devil really was working with him. So, and the Pentagon says here, Russian spy ship took operating near U.S. So. Um, you know, there there's some things going on here that we need to pay attention to because Yeshua stated in Matthew chapter 24. Let's turn there, Matthew chapter 24, verse three. And he and and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, as Yeshua sitting on the Mount of Olives, Jesus, the disciples of Talmudim came unto him privately, saying, "Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming?" and of the end of the world, of the end of the age of, of civilization of man. And he stated in verse 4, Matthew chapter 24, and, and Yeshua answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive or trick you. It's the first word that came out of it, first words that came out of his mouth, deception. And that's what people don't seem to understand. They don't understand that the devil has effectively deceived this whole world, that there's more of his ministers, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11 reveals that he has his ministers and as many more of those ministers than the true ministers of God. People just don't understand that. Verse 5, for many shall come in my name saying I am the Messiah and shall deceive many. So he's stressing the importance that you realize this is going to be a great deception on this earth. People going around teaching that the law of Moses is not the law of God and has been nailed to the cross. Trying to act like there's a difference between the law of Moses and the law of God. And I just showed you scripturally that the law of Moses is the law of God. Now, either you're going to believe the Bible or you're going to believe what you want to believe. Verse 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation, uh, nation uh, in the Greek that means uh, tribe or family. So, fa so for families shall rise against families and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places around the world, obviously. And he says in verse 8, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. These are the beginning of sorrows that will lead to the great tribulation. So let's not be shocked when we hear about these things. Now, another Internet website I'd like to go to while I'm on the air is the Economic Collapse. economiccollapseblog.com collapseblog.com It's a great website. I, I really implore you to uh, encourage you to uh, review this website. He's going to give you information that um, you will not find on CNN, ABC, CBS, and, and the other um, uh, controlled uh, media outlets. So, um, 
he has some interesting articles on here. The middle class is, is can the middle class in Canada is now doing better than the middle class in America. It says, are you ready for the price of food to more than double by the end of the decade? Two more victims of the retail apocalypse: Family Dollar and Cold Water Creek. Sixteen signs that most Americans are not prepared for the for the uh, coming economic collapse. Well, I'm going to read this a little bit, a brief. Then I'm going to encourage you to read the rest of it. But this is certainly a website you need to be reviewing um, constantly. Uh, this, the headline to this article is 16 signs that most Americans are not prepared for the coming economic collapse. Sometimes I think that I sound like a broken record. I am constantly using phrases such as get prepared while you still can and time is running out. In fact, I use them so often that people are starting to criticize me for it. But the truth is that only a small percentage, and he's right, only a small percentage of people out there are actively taking steps to get ready for what is coming. Most of the country is not prepared at all. In many ways, it is just like 2007 all over again. There were many people that could see what was about to happen and were doing all they could to warn the people, but most, just like in the days of Noah, did not listen. And then the great financial crisis of 2008 struck, and millions of people lost their jobs and their homes. Unfortunately, the next great wave of economic collapse is going to be even more painful than the last one. <clears throat> it is imperative. It is imperative that people get prepared for what is on the horizon. But for the most part, it is just not happening. And this is a warning for our Lord, from our Lord and Savior. In Luke chapter 21, folks, Luke chapter 21, 21 verse 34, And take heed to yourselves, that at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, and it's talking about spiritual drunkenness too, and cares of this life, caring more about your job, about your friends that you talk to that don't keep the law of God, uh, but, you know, they help you waste your time, and so that that day come upon you unawares. Because if you let, if you're overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, let me read this in a, another version that is similar, that is easier for you to understand. Uh, in the uh, basic 1965 Bible and basic English version, it says, But give attention to yourselves for fear that your hearts become overfull of the pleasures of food and wine and the cares of this life, and that they may come on you suddenly and take you as a nest. So if you care more about the pleasures of food and wine and the cares of this life, it's going to come upon you unexpectedly, just like the gentleman in this article was stating. In verse 35, it says, For so it will come on all those who are living on the face of the earth, like how he described. If you're living like that, it's going to come upon you like that, like a mousetrap. Okay? And I'm going to read the rest of this in the King James Version. Uh, in verse 36, Watch ye therefore and pray always. So if you watch all, all the, not just uh, the, the physicality or world events, but also watch yourself spiritually, watch you therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So uh, if you're, you're still alive and uh, around the time of his coming, saying that if, if you watch yourself, then you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That's my warning to you or God's warning to you. Okay, so. In the remaining 35 minutes, I'm going to talk about the wrath of God and the great whore that's found in the book of Revelation. This is Revelation 16 and 17. We're really getting to the exciting climax of this book. 
And I've been doing a series of Bible studies uh, over the past, I think, a couple of months, maybe three months. And it's, uh, if you want to hear the whole series, I suggest that you listen to all the Bible studies in the archives. All right, so we're going to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, starting in verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. What is the wrath of God? I explained that to you last week in Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. It says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled the wrath of God. To help you understand the book of Revelation, the judgments of God, or the punishments of God, are in three categories. The first, you have seven seals. The seventh seal initiates the seven trumpets, initiates the seven vials. People are teaching incorrectly that the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven plagues are all synonymous. If you just sit and read this, you can tell that that's not true. All right? So let's, again, let the Bible interpret itself. And so the seven last plagues fills up the wrath of God. It is the wrath of God. And I'm going to prove that to you here today on this program. And and to understand the book of Revelation, you have to realize that not every chapters in sequence and most people are deceiving to thinking that it is but it's not uh you need to, to take the bible literally and look at what it's saying all right so revelation chapter 14 verse 10 it says the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of god which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation and so the wrath of god has something to do with wine uh that's full of indignation and in verse 19, an angel thrust in the sickle and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And then uh, verse 7 of Revelation chapter 15, and one of the four beasts gave, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God. So the seven plagues have something to do with the wrath of God. And then, of course, Revelation 16, verse 1, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. The so, the, biblically, the wrath of God is the seven last plagues, or the seven vials, okay? Which happens after the seventh trumpet. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worship his image. Verse 3, and the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. So this picture, I know it's difficult for you to picture this in your mind, but these events will actually occur, and this destruction will occur. Remember, this is the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. Verse 4, And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became blood. Verse 5, And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. Verse 6, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, that thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel with the fourth vial, 
executed his judgment that God gave him. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and, a pow- and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Verse 9, and men were scorched with great heat. And this tells you the, wicked, the great wickedness of mankind at this time. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which has power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him. Even at this time, God is hoping that people will change. They'll do teshuva. They'll, they'll repent and stop being rebellious, thinking they know better than their creator. He's hoping even at this time that they repent. But they're still not repenting. And, and blaspheme in the Greek means blasphemio. It means to vilify, to, to, to speak evil. And so they were speaking evil of the name of God of his person, of his character. Verse 10 in Revelation, and then people think God's not going to judge you for that eventually. Yes, he will. Revelation 16, verse 10, and the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. The geopolitical government that I'm going to uh, interpret using the Bible and history in Revelation chapter 17 today. And his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. So he's going to pour out this the fifth angel is going to pour out his vial on the seat of the headquarters of the beast. Verse 11, and blaspheming the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and, re- and repented not of their deeds. So he's hoping, whenever God punishes us, ladies and gentlemen, he's hoping that we were, or, or, just like when you spank a child, you're hoping that they'll get it and, and, and they'll start to obey. Well, you, don't, you spank adults this way. This is the way adults are going to be ultimately spanked by all these plagues that are coming, folks. Verse 12, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water, therefore, was dried up. You know, God doesn't force you to obey him, but he's going to strongly influence you to obey him. <laughs> so, so just like a father strongly influences, or a mother strongly influences the child to obey them when they spanked him. Okay? And you should do that in love, not in hate. But anyway, Revelation 16, verse 12, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water therefore was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty, that is called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. That is what we're talking about here. So in verse 14, For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty, the day of the Lord. That's the literal day when he comes back and lands his feet on the Mount of Olives with the saints and all the angels. In verse 15 of Revelation chapter 16, it gives you a clue. He says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, that not he walk naked, and they see his shame. So he's telling you, when he talks about I come as a thief, I know people in Hebraic roots that say this is talking about when the priest fell asleep, uh, when he was uh, watching the the temple, not the priest, but the Levites, when they were... uh, uh, at the temple, and they and they fell asleep, and 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 uh, 
they didn't keep their garments and, and then uh, uh, from what I can understand uh, something was done to, to wake them up okay this is what that's true but let's, let's look at what how Yeshua timed this to tell you to give you the biblical interpretation of what he really meant when he said behold I come as a thief <laughs> that is a biblical interpretation when he says become I come as a thief prophetically that that's talking about the sixth vial the seventh the sixth plague of the wrath of God of the seven vials telling you that him coming as a thief is his second coming all right which has he's giving he's just giving you a description of how he's going to come back all the world's armies are going to be gathered in a place in verse 16, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. All right? That's where uh, people get that term from, from the Bible. In verse 17, so the coming as a thief is the preparation of the world's armies. He's going to allow demons to gather all the world's armies into a place called Armageddon. And he says, behold, I come as a thief. Talking about his second coming. Blessed is he that walketh and keep his garments, and that he walk naked and they see his shame. So him coming as a thief is his coming, uh, landing his feet on the Mount of Olives. And that is called biblically the day, the literal day of the Lord when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives. Verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven. There is a temple in heaven, and from the throne, from the throne saying, it is done. And more than likely, that's the Father's voice. I don't know for sure, but there was a voice from the throne saying, it is done. Now, from the throne, you have the Father sitting, and then on the right side of the Father, you have the Son. So it was either one of their voices. But I suspect, this is just my speculation, that it was the Father saying, it is done. All right. That truly is a end, folks. It's the end of all the judgments uh, of, of, of the uh, book of Revelation, the, the main judgments. Okay? In verse 18, And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. Now picture this in your mind. There's going to be a great earthquake, the greatest earthquake that ever occurred on the earth. It says, Such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. So the greatest earthquake that ever occurred is going to occur before the Messiah comes back, folks. This is what's going to happen before the Messiah comes back. The, the wrath, all the vials, the, the, the wrath of God is going to be executed on the earth. Um, you're going to have the greatest earthquake that ever occurred on the earth happen. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. So all the cities of the nations will fall. And so all the cities of the nations will fall. And great Babylon, which means great confusion, came and remembers before God to give unto her the cup of the wine and the fierceness of his wrath. Okay? And verse 20, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Okay, so before the Messiah comes back with the saints and all the angels in heaven, the greatest earthquake that will ever occur in the history of the world will happen. All the cities of all nations will fall. Every island will be fled away. All the mountains 
will not be found. Just picture that in your mind. Folks, people are going to know when the Messiah comes because all these great events are going to happen before he comes. Verse 21, And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven about the weight of a talent. So the weight of a talent is 75 pounds. So seven, just picture this. Before the Messiah comes back, I want you to really picture this because most people don't even preach when I'm preaching. Okay, so pay attention, all right? Before the Messiah comes back, all the cities of the nations will fall. All mountains were, were, were not going to be found. Every island will fly away. Quake that ever occurred in the history of the world will happen. And then the great city was divided into three parts. And on top of that, there's going to be stones weighing 75 pounds raining like hell out of the sky. <laughs> okay? This is going to happen before the Messiah comes back. And people are going to be so wicked at this time that they're going to still blaspheme God, evil of him, because of the plague of the hell. For the plague, therefore, was exceeding great. And so that is going to be the picture, folks, of what's going to happen close to his second coming. It's not a pretty picture. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. All right, you're going to get to this pivotal chapter here. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, or the wrath of God, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. All right, verse 2 with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have made have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So the entire inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk, and he's talking about spiritually drunk, with the wine of her fornication. So, so let's stop here. All the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Verse 4. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Upon her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. In verse 6, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, of Yeshua. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. In verse 7, so let's get the biblical interpretation of this. Verse 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries carrieth her, which have the seven heads and ten horns. All right. Verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into destruction or perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, 
when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Okay, so that is the biblical interpretation. Well, I'm not even done yet, all right, but we will continue on here. Verse 9, and here the mind which does have wisdom. Those who have wisdom are those who keep the commandments of God. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the women sit of people have realized that those seven mountains certainly is referring to Rome. Uh, when you read the book of Revelation understand biblical history, you realize that Rome has a lot to do with false religion, folks. Uh, verse 10, And there are seven kings. Five are fallen. Five are fallen. And one is, and the other is, is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short space. In verse 11, And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and he is of the seven, and goeth in, into destruction. In verse 12 of Revelation chapter 17, it says, And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. They have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Verse 14, They shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And they that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. He's going to be with the saints and all the angels. Verse 15. And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. In verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Verse 17, For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which you saw is that great city. Again, let me repeat that. And the woman which you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. What, what is, what is the, the greatest city in the world right now which has influence over the kings of the earth? What city today has as its headquarters a place where all nations to come world issues what city is that ladies and gentlemen think about that all right so let's let's go and interpret this uh biblically here all right so seven heads represent seven kingdoms now, standing the beast. Let me let me just go over this. Uh, you may have probably never heard of this before, but th this is the only way this is going to make sense. Now, no people are preaching that Islam, 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 cut heads off, Islam. Okay, folks. Uh, also, the Catholics cut people's heads off. Okay, study your history. The cutting heads off is not just an Islamic uh, copyright. Okay, um, other people have uh, cut people's heads off. All right, including uh, Catholics. The um, if you look through history, if you look through history, uh, you have uh, beheadings done by the Catholic Church, Crusaders. 
Okay, so let, let's, you have to study your history to understand that. But what I want you to understand, and I hope you understand this, the following. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 7. To understand Revelation chapter 17, we have to go to Daniel as well. In Daniel chapter 7, people, now it's true, Daniel chapter 2, it talks about four divisions of the world. Okay, you have um, Babylon, you have the the uh, Persian Empire, the Medo-Persia Empire. And so let me, let me go over this. The, the Chaldean Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the first head of gold in, in the vision, Daniel chapter 2. Uh, that kingdom existed from 625 to 539 B.C. And then you have the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. That kingdom lasted from 558 to 330 B.C. And then the third... Um, uh, part of the statue of Daniel chapter 2 you can read that on your own but I'm just briefly going over this was Greece under Alexander the Great and the four divisions and then the fourth is the Roman Empire most people understand that uh, the study of the Bible and the Roman Empire lasted from 31 BC to AD 476 with two divisions west and east and many people don't realize this but Britain was a part of the Holy Roman Empire folks of the Roman Empire 31 B.C. to 476 B.C., during that time. And the fall of the Roman Empire, which is uh, what happened in A.D. 476. Go, go back to Daniel chapter 7, because Daniel chapter 7 is talking about four completely different beasts, and I know you're going to be shocked when I tell you that, but it's the truth. And it talks about the first, being, first beast being like a lion and had eagle's wings. Um, the second beast is like a bear, and, and it had three ribs in the mouth in his mouth the fourth beast was like a leopard and the the uh i mean the third beast was like a leopard the fourth beast uh here's a description of the fourth beast it says in verse seven of daniel chapter seven after this i saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly and it had great iron teeth it devoured and broke into pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it, it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Okay, so it's talking about this beast here that was this fierce looking. And it says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up another among them, a little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Interpretation of this. In verse 17 of Daniel chapter 7, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall rise out of the earth. Four kings. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever. Now notice in verse 17 it says, these kings shall arise out of the earth. So it's talking about four completely different beasts, four different power blocks from the ones described in Daniel chapter 2. Although they certainly have their linkage or associated with those four power blocks in Daniel chapter 2. But these are four completely different beasts. These are four great beasts of the 21st century. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Now, in the 21st century, we have four power blocks. Those four power blocks, and this, this program may go over a little bit. Uh, it's 11 minutes right now. Hopefully I'll get done. But if not, just uh, listen to me in the archives for the completion of this, because this is very important. Those four power blocks right now, currently anyway, 
our let me let me type in quartet. You can go with me if you want. Uh, quartet in Wikipedia, and uh, actually you should type in the quartet on the Middle East. Quartet on the Middle East. So this is in Wikipedia. It says the quartet on the Middle East or Middle East quartet, sometimes called the diplomatic quartet. Or the Madrid Quartet, or simply the Quartet, is a foursome of nations and international and supranational entities involved in mediating the peace process in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The Quartet means four, the United Nations, the United States, the European Union, and Russia. That's amazing, isn't it? And this, and this occurred, the creation of the Quartet occurred in the 21st century. The group was established in Madrid in 2002, recalling the Madrid conference in 1991 as a result of the escalating conflict in the Middle East. Tony Blair is the Quartet's current special envoy, and Tony Blair was the prior Prime Minister of Israel, uh, not of Israel, but uh, of Britain. Okay, so the Bible says there's going to be four beasts in the end times, in the 21st century, and I just read to you about the Quartet. So obviously these four beasts certainly has something to do with this Middle East Quartet, ladies and gentlemen. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 17. Uh, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. And it has. It has arisen out of the earth. Verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Verse 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails brass, devoured broken pieces and stamped the residue of his feet. Now, obviously, this, this fourth beast certainly has something to do with the United Nations because when you hold your place here and you turn to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, starting in, in verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns seven kingdoms and, and ten additional kingdoms. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. Verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear. So you see that this beast is a combination of the three other power blocks, okay, uh, which I saw like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And so the fourth beast is a combination of all those other three beasts, which right now has its genesis or beginning in the United Nations. So remember, the fourth beast is the United Nations right now. I don't know what it's going to be later on, but it's certainly the United Nations because United have been merged, and, and Revelation 13 tells you that the three beasts are going to merge. They're going to be combined uh, to make this fourth beast. All right, so... Let's go back to Revelation chapter, I mean, Daniel chapter 7. Okay, verse 20. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the which, which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. And I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints. And this horn is the anti-Messiah. Verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints in the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. And verse 23, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, 
which I said has its genesis in the United Nations, which shall be diverse from all the kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth and thread it down and break it in pieces. And here's another thing that you need to understand. NATO. What is NATO? Let's type in Wikipedia again. NATO. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, also called North Atlantic Alliance, is the intergovernmental military alliance based on the North Atlantic Treaty, which was signed April 4th, 1949. So April 4th, 1949. The organization constitutes a system of collective defense whereby its member states agree to mutual defense in response to an attack by any external party. NATO's headquarters is in Brussels, Belgium. One of the 28 member states across North America and Europe, the newest of which Albania and Croatia joined in April 2009. An additional 22 countries participate in NATO's Partnership for Peace program, with 15 other countries involved in institutionalized dialogue programs. The combined military spending of all NATO members constitutes over 70% of the global total. Members' defense spending is supposed to amount to 2% of GDP. So anyway, this is this is the military arm of the United Nations, um, participating members. I'm trying to find, basically, uh, it says right here, NATO has 28 members, mainly in Europe and North America. Some of these countries also have territory in multiple continents. So I'm trying to, there's a list that tells you, um, let me see. I want to find out, basically, the... Uh, the membership, 28 states. Here we go. All right. Okay, the member states. Here we go. All right, it says, the NATO North Atlantic Treaty Organization is an international alliance that consists of 28 member states from North America and Europe. Of the 28 member countries, two are located in North America, just two, Canada and United States, and 25 are European countries, while Turkey is in Eurasia. It says, all members have militaries, Although Iceland does not have a typical army, it does, however, have a military coast guard and a small unit of soldiers for NATO operations. Three of NATO's members are nuclear weapon states, France, the United Kingdom, and the United States. NATO has 12 original founding members in 2009 and has added 16 more member nations. And so um, you take a look at this, you, t- you look at the map here, and you see that uh, they certainly, NATO certainly fits the qualifications that is required for the fourth bees to be able to break the earth into pieces. They have the nukes to do it. Now, in verse 24 of Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, it says, And the ten horns out of the kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first and shall subdue three kings. Okay, what are those three kings? Well, I'm going to suggest that you guys Google and get Mr. Armstrong's Who or What is the Prophetic Beast. I, I really believe that this is a pretty good booklet to read in, in terms of this. He did a good job of, of using history to help understand uh, these prophecies. And so when you're talking about subduing three kings and so forth, what Mr. Armstrong suggested was that this has something to do with the fall of the Roman Empire, um, and the Vandals, which existed in 429 and 533 A.D., the, Her- the Heruli, 
Odysseus' uh, government from A.D. 476 to 493 and the Ostrogoths, A.D. 493 to 554. Those are the three of the seven. <clears throat> you have to look at the European history because all of this has its linkage in Europe, folks. I know people are, are thinking that it's Islam, Islam, but it can't be because Islam does not have the nuclear power that NATO has, which is really one of the uh, military arms of the United Nations. Okay, so, um, and then Mr. Armstrong, you know, I, I really believe that he had a good grasp of who this beast really is. And as far as the seven heads and ten horns, they're all they're, they're going to be European based. Okay, um, and that includes North America. So, the deadly wound that was talked about, that was healed. Since we understand that 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 these heads and and these horns are representing kingdoms, that deadly wound is talking about a kingdom being wounded and that kingdom was the Roman Empire but it had seven resurrections and those seven resurrections the first head of the beast was the imperial restoration by Empire Justinian in AD 554 he recognized supremacy of this world's Christianity the second head is the Frankish kingdom you can look this up um, in history, folks, uh, there, there was various resurrections of the Holy Roman Empire. The Frankish Kingdom began in 774, Charlemagne crowned A.D. 800. The third head is the Holy Roman Empire, the German head, Otto the Great, 962. You can look this all up, and, and I suggest that you get this book and read it. Who or what is the prophetic beast? The Habsburg Dynasty. The Australian head, Charles V, crowned, 1530. And Napoleon, Napoleon's Kingdom. Sure, you've heard of Napoleon, the French head, crowned 1804. That's the fifth head, written by the woman. So I've described to you the the five kingdoms or five heads of the beast. Now, this is a quote from a history book, West, page 377. It says, in 1814, just 1,260 years after the deadly wound was healed, the Holy Roman Empire was dissolved. So close a government that dated from Augustus Caesar. The um, the seventh head is Italy, united by Garibaldi, 1870s to 1945. Um, now, the seventh head is yet to come. It's the revived Roman Empire by, by ten rulers under one leader. Uh, many people say that it could be in Europe. It could be. But all, all I know is that it has something to do with the United Nations, NATO, and Europe. That we can say, um, and that is a, that's the easiest way I can describe to you of what or how to interpret uh, Revelation chapter 17. So, uh, Revelation chapter 17. Let's go back there, and that city, that city that that is talking about right now has to be New York City. Because we're going to get into Revelation 18 and Revelation 19 next week. And you're going to see the description of Babylon. And it's talking about seaports and merchants. And, and certainly New York has one of the largest seaports in the world. Now, here's something to, to, to think about. The United States 
owns a military, a, a large military facility uh, in in uh, Iraq right now, in, around the place of Babel or ba- Babylon, and so it could be possible that Babylon could be uh, resurrected because it certainly is is uh, also has a seaport there. But right now, I know currently this city that is described right now has to be talking about New York City, folks. So, that's the simplest way I can describe this to you. We're waiting for the seven resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire, which has uh, European roots. Revelation chapter 17 also is talking about the Roman Catholic Church, the universal church that's drunken with the blood of the saints. The Roman Catholic Church certainly has influenced Christianity as far as thinking that the law of Moses is is nailed to the cross and so forth. This is all simple for you to research. I'm just giving you the basics. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, may Yah bless and keep you, and we're going to go over Revelation chapter 18 and 19 next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.